Good day. Um, why don't you take your Bible and turn to Second Corinthians chapter three? We we have uh, taken a verse out of there and kind of focused on it for the last few weeks, and so I want to go back and let you see the context here. So, Father, we all need to see more clearly. I ask you today to give us eyes to see what you see. Eyes to see your perspective, to see the wonderful work that you've done in us, through us, on our behalf. And I pray like Paul wrote that it would instill confidence in us, boldness, stand what you've done and who you are. We bless you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Now, the first three verses are literally something specific to this church. Uh, it has some relevance, some meaning for us, but it's mostly Paul writing and saying there, there came into question Paul's uh, authority. Is he really who he was? In fact, they didn't like who he was. A lot of them didn't like what he said. And when you read what he wrote here, you're going to find out that there are those today who still don't like what he said. Religious people who don't like what he said. But Paul was saying here, uh, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. So in other words, there were, the, there were men who would bring letters of recommendation when they would go to a church or when they would write to a church, and someone would be recommending, like we do today, you know, when you recommend a pastor or you recommend something. This is my letter of recommendation. Paul said, I don't need a letter of recommendation. Matter of fact, Paul started the church at Corinth. He went to Corinth early on, preached the gospel, led some people to the Lord, watched it grow for about a year and a half. And so Paul was saying, I don't need a letter. And here's what he says. You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. So Paul's saying, I don't need a letter to validate who I am and what I've done. Who I am and what I've done and got what God has done in me is written in your heart by the fact that you know Christ, and I was instrumental in bringing you to that reality. So he's kind of discounting that. And he says, because of that, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Now, let me give you the context that he's referring to in this chapter. You'll see it more clearly in a minute. He is referring to Moses and his encounter with the glory of God. He's referring to Moses when he was on the mountain and God revealed himself. Remember, we talked about that. He asked to see the glory of God. 
God showed him his goodness, his loving kindness, his quickness to forgive, his patience is is towards him. He was showing Moses his glory by revealing his goodness to him. And that's the goodness of God. That's the glory that God reveals to us. Where do you get that? Well, he says that the glory of God, Jesus came and revealed the glory of God. What was it full of? Grace and truth. Goodness of God. The reality of who God is. And so Jesus was that expression. So he's looking back to that instance. And what had happened is at that point, the law was established. Remember the Ten Commandments were written. Moses went down and broke them. God said, bring it back up and we'll show you what to write on there. And he gave him the law. And so the context here is that Israel saw the glory of God in the law. But they misinterpreted it. Their understanding of the law was this. If we want to be right with God, we must keep the law. And they defended it. They fought for it. They preserved it. They made sure that it was carried on from generation to generation. But keeping the law for righteousness was never God's intention in giving the law. God's intention in giving the law was to reveal to man that he could not fulfill the law. He said, you can't keep this. I'm going to reveal myself to you in order to humble you, to let you know that you cannot fulfill this. You are not adequate to do what the law requires. So throw yourself on my mercy. But they didn't do that. Their understanding was we can keep the law. As a matter of fact, if you, if you notice today, whenever we get involved in the law, there's always a way around the law. There's always, well, you know, I, 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 I didn't inhale. There's always a way around the law. And so children of Israel said, they came up, added laws of their own. And they were convinced that they could become righteous by keeping the law. Paul came along after the revelation he had of Christ, and he challenged that. And they hated him for it. Because they were so convinced that their perspective was right. They were so sure that what they understood to be true about the law was all there was. And when Paul came along and preached something different, they challenged everything that they had. And look at what he says. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who has made us adequates as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He says, there is nothing within us, there has never been, there is not now, nor will there ever be anything in us, in ourselves, that makes us adequate to keep the law. Now, here's what's interesting. God gave us a covenant to reveal that we weren't adequate. 
And then he gave us a covenant and made us adequate. Okay? Let's go on. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter. We are not adequate to keep the law. God never intended for us to keep the law in order to be made righteous. He intended for us to see the law and us to realize there is no way we can ever live up to this. God, we just throw ourselves on your mercy. But instead, they do what many of us do. All of us do at some point in our life. We create these rules. We create this law, and we manipulate it so that we think we're keeping it. And then when we keep it, we feel better about ourselves, which is we have made ourselves right. They call that self-righteousness. That's what he was challenging the Pharisees about. You think you've made yourself right by keeping the law. But the truth of the matter is the law deals with the heart. It never just deals with the action. That's why he said when a man looks upon a woman with lust in his heart, he's committed adultery already. It always had to expo- was there to expose the heart. And so he comes along and he says, he has made us adequate. Now, the old covenant showed us we weren't adequate. The new covenant made us adequate to live, to fulfill the requirements of the Spirit, but not the law. And they hated that. They did not like that. And I want you to look at what things here that offended them. There were Paul's description of two different phrases here that describe the law. He says in verse 7, if the ministry of death, wow, ministry of death, what's he referring to? He's referring to the old covenant. It was a ministry of death. It came to reveal our failures and to bring death into our life if we didn't respond correctly. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. It did have glory. The law did carry a glory with it. It carried an expression of God's goodness. God was good enough to give it to us. He was good enough to not leave us in our sin. He was good enough to not leave us in our deception. But he gave us the law in his kindness to reveal to us how sinful we were. Otherwise, we wouldn't have known. Paul said, if the law hadn't come, I wouldn't have known of sin. So there was a glory that was with it. There was an expression of God's kindness with it. Now, we read the Old Testament today, and we have a hard time seeing God's kindness in that, of all the things he expected. But the mere fact that he chose to reveal it to us was an expression of his goodness that says, I'm showing you what you really are. That's a good thing. Because you're deceived into thinking you're something else. And I don't want you to be deceived. But Moses called it, I mean, uh, Paul called it the ministry of death. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more glory? ministry of death. Now look at the second thing he says. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, so we have the Old Testament referred to as a ministry of death and a ministry of condemnation. Why? Because it revealed that we couldn't do it. 
And the wages of sin is what? Death. It's always death. It exposed that we needed to die because we could not fulfill the law. Notice what he says. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. So he refers to the Old Testament, the ministry of death, and ministry of condemnation. He refers to the new covenant as ministry of the spirit and ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory, being the old covenant, in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. Now, here's what he's saying here. He's making comparison. And the, slick, the easiest comparison I know is, have you ever been to West Texas? Have you ever been to the Big Bend? Remember, we used to drive to El Paso, and we'd look out there, and we would see what in the distance? Mountain. Well, yeah, nothing. But if you get to the end of the nothing, there's a, a mountain. And you go, wow, a mountain. Well, it's about that big. Okay, It's got glory. Wow, that's a cool mountain. That's big. Now, you take that mountain, and you hold it up next to the Rocky Mountains, or you hold it up next to the Andes, or you hold it up next to... Uh, Mount Everest, and the glory that that mountain has fades because of the humongous glory that this mountain has. Does that make any sense? So he's saying, yes, the old covenant had glory, but when that glory is compared to the new covenant, that glory fades, and it has no glory because the new covenant has a greater glory to it. It is a greater expression of the goodness of God. Isn't that interesting? I I think that's awesome, okay? For indeed what had glory in this case case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Now, what did he say about the new covenant in that verse? It faded away, faded away. Now, think of the offense that brought to, the, to Israel and to Jews who wanted to keep that, who wanted to adhere that. And folks, listen, we still have people today who want to mix Christ and that old. And he said the old was a ministry of death. The old was a ministry of condemnation. All of the rituals, all of the ceremonies, all of the things that you did, all of the feasts, all of that is done away and realized, fulfilled in Christ. The glory of Christ far exceeds all of that. It's the substance over the symbol. It's the type over the shadow. He says it's gone. It's faded away. Now, how well do you think they receive that? Here I have this perspective. I've raised on this perspective. I was taught this perspective. I fought for this perspective. I taught this perspective. And here you're telling me it's faded away, that it's not relevant anymore. They held to a perspective that the righteousness of God could be attained through keeping the law. And here, who are we talking about? Paul. I'm trying to get Abraham and everybody else in there. Paul comes along and says, <clears throat> you've never been adequate to keep the law. You're not adequate now, and you never will be adequate. We do not have within ourselves what it takes 
to fulfill the law, the requirements of the law. Not now, not in the past, not ever. The purpose wasn't to keep. It was to reveal sin. It's a ministry of death. It's a ministry of condemnation. Israel wanted to keep it in place. Israel wanted to hold on to it. And Paul comes along and says, that glory is gone. It's faded away. There is a new glory, a greater glory in Christ. And listen, that perspective, as we'll see in a minute, that perspective was their veil. Okay? They could not see the glory in Christ because their eyes and their heart and their mind was veiled because of the perspective that they held on to. Let's go on. He says, therefore, we having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. We're not like Moses. He used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. Hardness of mind creates a veil on the heart. Hardness of mind creates a veil on the heart. It is possible to hold on to a perspective with such a grip in our mind that it veils our heart from being able to see the glory of God in Christ. That's what was happening here. They couldn't see it. They just couldn't see it. They weren't open to seeing it. They weren't willing to see it. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. It's still there, and it is still there today. But he says, because it is removed in Christ. What would I have to do to get rid of the veil in order to see the glory of God in Christ? Just what we have to do. Turn. Release. Every perspective we have, every philosophy we have, every doctrine we have, every theological perspective we have, we have to be willing to turn and look at Christ without a veil. Because in Christ, the veil is lifted. But you know what? I can put it back on. I can form my own veil. I can create another veil. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Why was a veil over their heart? Because of the hardness of their mind. Their perspective, they knew was right, and they were willing to hold on to it, even though it put a veil over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Spirit of the Lord, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now watch. We have this perspective. We hold on to this perspective. And when we turn to Christ, when we, when we try to behold the glory of God, we bring our perspective. That perspective has hardened in our mind, and it has veiled our heart that makes it impossible for us to see the glory of the wonderful things that's in Christ and that he's done. Christ died, and when he died, he revealed that veil. I mean, he removed the veil. But I've got a veil of my own. 
I've got a perspective of my own. And when I go to God, I go to God with my perspective. And I go to God and I hold on to my perspective. And it's hardened in my mind. And what I don't understand is that it veils my heart from seeing the glory of him. Why would you want to keep something that results in condemnation? Why would you want to keep something that results in death? Look at verse 17. Spirit of the, where the Lord, now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, leave it to us. Okay, let me just, let me just <laughs> uh, leave it to us to make everything about ourselves, even Scripture. Yes, it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I'm free. Let me ask you something. How about Christ? Is he free? Is he free? Is he free in my life? Is he free in my life to deal with all the perspectives that I hold on to? Is he free in my life to search out any compartment in my life? Is he free in my life to do whatever he wants to do to challenge anything I believe? And listen, the veil, what became the veil was a revelation from God. At one time, they made it a veil. Even the revelations that we get from the Lord must be open to the Lord's freedom to either change it, adjust it, That doesn't mean that God changes. It just means this. We have never got full revelation of anything, especially God. And the law wasn't the end all to beat all. They made it that way. The law was a part, it says, was a steward, was, was a master, a tutor to do what? To bring us to Christ. It was never permanent. It was never to be here forever. He said it is a tutor. It keeps us safe until Christ comes. But when Christ comes, he says, we don't need the tutor. So even revelations that we get, even words we get from the Lord, we've got to be open to the Lord, adding to it, taking it away, or saying, you really didn't understand what I was talking about. Let me show you what I really meant. Be willing to hear it. That's exactly right. But we get a word. We think we got a word. I got a word. I got this. This is what that means. And then it doesn't be, it's not realized based on what I think it is. And what do I do? I call in to question the goodness of God. I have just lost his revelation of who he is, of his glory. If God were really good, surely he wouldn't do this. If God is good, why did he do this? What that does is it hardens our heart, it hardens our mind, veils our heart so that we're not even able to see the goodness of God in our life 
and then what goes on around us. It can be theological. Many of us have perspectives of God that we've had all of our life. We'd die for him. We'd fight for him. In fact, we'd kill for him. Because if we don't believe it, just don't believe like I do. I'll kill your reputation. I'll kill all kinds of stuff. We'll kill for him. And it's set in our mind. It's this way. God's this way. God does it this way. And that robs us. That veils our heart to the revelation of how good God really is. We have, we have perspectives about ourselves. We've been told this. We've been told that. We're this. We're that. I'm this. I'm that. I do this. All these things we've embraced. I have a right to this. You need to do this. I need to look out for myself. I need to take care of myself. I need some me time. We hold on to those perspectives, and then we go to the Lord, and we say, Lord, give me revelation. And our mind is hardened, and our heart is veiled, because we've got a perspective. We really don't need your perspective. As a matter of fact, here's what I want you to do. We spend our time telling him what we want him to do to work around our perspective instead of coming to him and say, Lord, I I lay my perspective down. I want the veil lifted. I want the revelation of you. We have, we, oh my goodness, we have perspectives of the church. Holy cow. We see it as this club, this organization where you, attendance is checked and we pay your dues and you get a vote and you have a say and the purpose of the church is kind of like lubies. You go and pick what you want. If you don't like this one, you go to another one. We have no concept of the glory that God is revealing in this beautiful, beautiful woman called his son's bride. Look what he says here in verse chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Do you see the body of Christ that way? Do you see the members in the body of Christ? Here's an earthen vessel with the treasure of God inside of it. Wow. We get caught up on the vessel. We get caught up on the outer because we have this perspective. Well, I've been hurt by the church. Well, who hadn't? Get over it. We can't let that perspective be a veil of our heart and miss out what God wants to show us about this bride, about his church, and what he thinks about it and how he sees her. I don't dictate to him what I want changed. See, there's nothing we can do to force revelation. We cannot make God speak. You can stand on your head. You can speak in tongues. You can quote scripture. You can claim this. You can plead the blood. You can do all you want. That is not going to make God speak. My part is to humble myself, surrender my veil, put myself in a position of consistent intimacy with him, willing to receive anything he's got to say about anything in my life. That's how revelation comes. I set my heart in a place for that. I don't pick and choose what he does. I don't pick and choose which compartment he is free to work in and which he is not. Sometimes resentment is a veil. Listen, 
If you're spending all your time praying for God to change somebody that's a source of irritation in your life, you got a veil. There's probably resentment there about it all. And it's going to keep me from seeing the goodness of God to me that will change me. Resentment, unforgiveness, criticism, judgmentalism, the absence of praise and thanksgiving, and all be veils that hinder our seeing. The hardness of mind comes when a perspective is set in my mind that I'm unwilling to allow the Spirit of the God to deal with whatever it is. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, How are we going to experience change? We're going to have to be willing to let the veil be lifted in our heart and in our mind, whatever that is. Now, along the lines of what Chuck was saying a while ago, let me encourage you about something. You don't even know what the veil is. I don't even know what the veil is. I don't know what it is in my life, in my mind, that's set in stone, that's veiled my heart, that's keeping me from seeing the fullness of the glory of God in Christ. I don't know what it is, but he knows. I believe he wants me to come and ask him with a willingness, Lord, if I've got a veil, show me. There's a perspective I need to release, I want you to show me. If there's an attitude I've got, I want you to show me. Whatever there is in my heart that is blinding me to the glory of God in Christ. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Let's go on. Verse 4, chapter 4. Since we have this ministry, as we have received, as we receive mercy, We do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commanding ourselves to every man's conscience in the light of God. But even if our veil is hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Listen, if it is hidden, if the gospel, if the glory of God in Christ, that's the gospel, is veiled, it is hidden to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What's the enemy done? What's the enemy done? He's created a veil by hardening the mind of the lost, that veils their heart, that keeps them from seeing how good God is and how that goodness was manifested in Christ. Why? Because if they ever see it, 
If they ever see it, they will want it. It will be the pearl of great price. It will be the treasure buried in the field. It will be everything that their heart ever longed for. I encourage you, include that in your praying for people that are lost. Father, I pray that you would lift the veil in their heart, that they would see the goodness of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. What happened to us? What happened to us? If we got saved, here's what happened to us. We saw the light of the glory of God in Jesus, and we said, that's worth everything. I'll take it. I will surrender everything to have that. I will turn from everything to get that. That's what happened to us. That's what happened to us. Because we were blinded to it. Didn't see it before. We may have been religious. We may have been good. We may have been keeping the law. But our heart, our mind was blinded so that we wouldn't see that. But when we saw that, that's what brought us to Christ. I'll take that. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Boy, I can't wait till I get to heaven. Going to see all this good stuff. No, 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 no. He is not talking about heaven. He is talking about earthen vessels. Here, now, beholding the goodness, glory of God in Christ. Now, now. In earthen vessels. What's the veil? What's the veil in my heart? What am I holding on to in my mind? That as far as God's concerned, it's yes, God, but. Listen to me. 95% obedience is 100% disobedience. God doesn't work on a curve. He doesn't work on a scale. He says, you either obey me or you don't. The law says, well, I did 95%. Just didn't do the five. That's the law. Because I feel better about myself for doing the 95%. I didn't do it all, but I did 95%. I bet you didn't do 95%. Let me check your percentage and see how you're doing. 10% disobedience is 100% disobedience. 5%. I come to him. I say, Father, what's the veil? What am I holding on to? Because see, listen, folks. We have heard for as long as we can remember who we are in Christ. But for many of us, there's been no revelation of that. We just keep trying to convince ourselves of it. The truth of the matter is, we're still holding on to our own perspective about who we are. 
How do I know that? Because if I was not holding on to it, the posture that I would have when I go to the Father about it is, I don't know. Show me. I don't know what this means. Show me. I don't know till you show me. I don't know till you tell me. I know what you say, and I'm going to hold on to that. That's going to be the... That's going to be the tutor in my life until the revelation of your glory comes. But when the revelation of your glory comes, I don't need that anymore. I don't need a Bible verse that tells me God so loved the world. Because I've had the revelation from him, a revelation of him, about how much he loves me. I don't have to convince myself of that. I have to remind myself, I don't have to convince myself of it. What's the veil? What is it that has hardened our mind, that's put a veil over our heart? Is it our schedule? Lord, you got five minutes, work. Well, I tried that. It didn't work. Well, what didn't work? Well, I didn't get what I wanted. Ta-da. Therein lies the issue. <clears throat> Any questions? Got it? No questions? All right. Ask the Father what's my value? Father, we know that we are helpless without you. We know we got nothing unless you give it to us, unless we receive it from you. Thank you that you have made made available to us the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Show us where our minds has been hardened, that it has veiled our heart to keep us from seeing how good you are to us, to keep us from judging your goodness by events that take place around us. You're good regardless of what happens to this country. You are good if we turn totally socialistic and communistic. You are good. That doesn't change you a bit. Teach us to live in that and not gauging that by elections or by a newsreel or anything. You are good. Reveal that to us. And lift the veil on our heart that keeps us from seeing that. But we just bless you today. Praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I got through 412. That's pretty good. All right, you're dismissed. <laughs>